Good morning, church. It's good to see you and be with you this morning. Um, today, uh, we're, we're talking about money. Uh, and we're going to see four things. The power of money, the danger of money, the failure of money, and true riches. And as I studied this, it was interesting to, to see uh, kind of how the different ways that it's been interpreted throughout uh, the 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words. Um, and what was, what was most interesting was kind of how, how so many people uh, worked very hard to, uh, to, to explain how this doesn't really apply to us. Uh, and, you, know, there, you might have heard, and this, this gets into sermons, I think I've heard this in sermons before, that there was a, you know, the camel through an eye of a needle, you know, say, oh, there's a, there's a little known gate on Dr- in Jerusalem's wall called the, the needle's eye. And camels, they had to duck down to get through it. You know, just like if, if, you're, if you're a rich person, you just have to duck down a little to get into heaven. Uh, <laughs> even though there is no evidence of, of any such gate at all. Uh, and and that is not, I believe, what Jesus is saying. But I, I think this points to the human, our, our hearts, uh, and the propensity that we have uh, to dodge what God says about money. Right, I think I think we, we have a tendency and a propensity to read this and go, oh well, yeah, that, that maybe that applies to super rich, but not to me. No, Jesus wouldn't ask something like this of me. And and I, I don't think uh, we're better than anyone. I'm not better than anyone, and, and I don't think I think my, that's in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I think that's in all of our hearts. And so we need the Lord. We need Him to open our eyes and open our hearts. We need Him to speak to us, or I don't think we'll we'll believe this and, and trust it. Uh, I, I don't think we can, we can understand unless he helps us. So let's pray uh, and, and we'll dive in. I wanna give you a moment just in your seat to pray. Uh, would you pray for yourself? Would you, would you ask that God would open your heart um, to whatever he wants to say to you through his word today? Would you pray also for your neighbor, for the people around you, for your family, whoever you're sitting with? Would you pray that God would speak to them? If you would, would you also pray for me uh, that I would be faithful to God's word and I would be helpful to you? Father, we need you. Uh, We need you every second. (laughs) It's not like we need you more now than ever before. But we but I feel it now because this is this is a hard text. And because uh, because of our hearts. And so, Lord, we need you. Would you help us? Would you speak to us? Um, I I pray against the devil, uh, that against any of his minions who would want to come and and would want to distract us, would want to um, as as uh, as the parable of the sower said, we want to come and snatch away the seeds before they are able to, to take root. I pray that he would not be able to, that we would hear you, that we would believe. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Power of money, the danger of money, the failure of money, and true riches. First, the power of money. 
Remember where we've been. Uh, the little children just came to Jesus and the disciples pushed him away. And Jesus said, no, let them come. He, they, he rebuked them and he says, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the rich young ruler uh, story follows after this story. And so perhaps the children are still there. Perhaps Jesus is blessing them uh, and a ruler walks up. Right, a ruler comes up. We know from, from Luke, he's a ruler. We know from Matthew and Mark that he's rich and he's young. And so he's, he's called the rich young ruler. This is uh, what, what he's known as. Um, and, uh, and so this, this, this man comes up, he's, he's influential, he's wealthy. And money uh, in this time was seen as, uh, as God's favor, God's blessing, right? If, if, you, if you followed the Lord, if you were, were uh, you know, obeying him, walking with him, then he would bless you with financial resources as well how it was seen. Um, and I think we still have, you know, we still have sometimes that view and somewhat of that view. Money, money has this power, doesn't it, to confer status to confer uh, respect, to confer uh, character, and even expertise. Um, I was thinking about this, and I, I like listening to podcasts, and I listen to a lot of podcasts that are interviews. And, uh, and you know, I was thinking, what kind of people are on these podcasts that get interviewed? Rich people, right? They're all rich people. They're all, they've all been, they're all successful people. And so we ask about everything, what their diet and jujitsu and, you know, uh, what they think about this political issue and that thing, like what, what gives them the right? What, why do we care about their opinion about that thing? Because they're rich, right? They have status. We, we still exalt people with money. Money opens doors, right? Money makes friends. Proverbs 19, wealth attracts many friends, but a poor person is separated from his friend. Many seek a ruler's favor, and everyone is a friend of one who gives gifts. This man undoubtedly had many friends and admirers. Right? Doors opened for him wherever he went. And so, you know, probably this man expected the conversation to go another way than it did. I, oh, oh, yes, my good sir, we'd love to have you as part of our ministry. It's quite easy to join. Come, come with us. Come to have this, this good seat in front, at the, in the front row. We'd be delighted. Or maybe he wanted Jesus to ask him to do something heroic. Oh, may, yes, make a large donation. Oh, yes, build the synagogue. Right? Oh, fund, fund our ministry to Jerusalem and beyond. But he comes and he asks a question. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Seems like a good question. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one's good except God alone. Now, why this immediate correction? Have you, have you thought about this? It seems strange because isn't Jesus good? Yes. Right? Isn't he, in fact, God? Yes. So, so why does he immediately rebuff this young ruler? What's he up to? And I think this gets more to the power of money, right? Money gives you status, right? It makes you status conscious. This man is likely calling Jesus good teacher, not because he believes he's good, not because he believes he's God, but instead because he wants to flatter him. He, he wants to give Jesus a compliment that Jesus will then reciprocate, right? Jesus has already talked about this earlier to, uh, to, to rich people saying, don't just give, when you give a banquet, don't just invite the people who can invite you back, 
Right, why? Because that's status, right? That's, that's gaining status. You, invite, you give someone a compliment, you invite someone somewhere, they invite you, they give you a compliment. Um, and so he, he's, he wants to ask this question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he wants him to answer something like, ah, wise ruler, what an astute question you would ask. Let's have a discussion about that. But, but Jesus isn't playing the status game. He's not playing the status game. He's, he's letting the man know, I, I'm not going along with convention here. We, we can have a discussion, right? He's, he, didn't, he, he talks with him. He doesn't send him away. But, but he said, it's not going to be, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right? That's not what we're doing here. Jesus is not impressed by money or by status. It doesn't impress him. It's the power of money. Now let's look at the danger. The danger of money. Verse 20, you know the, command, the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. I've kept all these from my youth, he said. Jesus gives uh, a standard answer. This is a standard rabbi answer. Uh, You know the commandments, right? And then he quotes five of the 10 commandments. And he's, he's just, I think he's just summarizing here. He means all of them. He's just saying, you know, the commandments, you know, like don't murder, don't commit adultery, honor your father. Like he's, he's just listing them off. The 10 commandments are God's, God's standard for his people, right? The summary of God's standard for what he requires of people. And Jesus is not being false here. This is, this is what the law has always said, right? The way to enter the kingdom, the way to life is by keeping the commandments, right? The law says, do this and you will live. And the man says, I've kept all these from my youth. Now, what do we say here? Right, the, the good reformed theologian in us goes, oh, he doesn't understand his own heart. You know, like he, he hasn't kept them all. But, but Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't, doesn't answer him. He didn't correct him. This, this young wealthy man is Moral. Right, he's a good guy. He, he's done his duty. He's tried to do what's right. He, he looks at the commands and he goes, have I committed adultery? No, I haven't. Have I killed anyone? No, I haven't. Do I honor my father and mother? Yeah, I love my mom and dad. Like, I've kept the commands. And maybe you're here today and you, and you think this. Man, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm moral. I try my best. I've lived a moral life. What then did Jesus say? Verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. Jesus looks at him, and in Mark's account of this, it says, at this point, it says he, he says he looked at him, and he loved him. He loved him. And I think it's important to remember, Jesus speaks out of love for this man, and he speaks out of love for us, which means he often corrects and challenges our deeply held beliefs and assumptions, right? Love doesn't just say, do whatever you want. No, no, it corrects challenges when we need it. He looks at this man, and he knows something deeply about him. Jesus can see the heart. He can see the heart. And he can see what this man clearly can't see. 
that money has a grip on his heart. Money has a grip on his heart. And so he says, sell everything. Distribute it to the poor and come. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. This man had, had kept, this ruler had kept the external commands of the law. He was moral. He was a good guy. He looked good on the outside. But, but sin isn't a matter of the actions alone. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the allegiance. It's a matter of worship. It's a matter of what we most deeply love. This man didn't just have money. Money had him. This man didn't just use money. He trusted money to give him his identity, his worth, his comfort, his satisfaction, his meaning in life. Money was his God. He wouldn't give it up. Whatever you won't give up, that's your God. Verse 24, seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The danger of money is that it's a rival God to God. Perhaps the strongest rival God out there. This is why Jesus talks so often about money. It's why the Bible talks so often about money. It's why Paul says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. That's why Jesus said even earlier in Luke, what did he say? You can't serve two masters. Right? You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And then when he, when he, when in that verse, he, he uses the word money. It's actually not the normal word for money. It's the word sometimes translated mammon which is like money personified. Some, some people think that Jesus is actually naming a, a, a demon, like a demonic force, one of Satan's generals who tries to tempt the world through possessions and through the love of money. You can't serve God and money. And listen, we, we, we are wealthy. Right? We live in the most, one of the most wealthy countries in the world. If you look historically, if you look globally, it's hard not to, not to admit, man, we are wealthy. Right? I, was, I was looking this up. Even if you're a single person and you make $20,000 a year, you're still in the top 10% of the world as far as wealth goes. But no matter how much or how little you have, Money can still have a hold on your heart. It can still have a hold on your heart. If you constantly track your bank account, your investments, stock market, or you have your money. If you have a lot of worry, anxiety over whether you'll have enough to meet your needs, you're losing sleep. You're envious of those who seemed, seemed to have the financial security and comfort that, that would bring you peace. You think, oh, if I can just be like them, they're just set up. If you sacrifice valuable time, perhaps the, the best of your time and energy, thinking about money, making money, spending money, investing money, 
saving money, protecting money, then, then money may have a hold on your heart. And I think this is one of the, the main idolatries of our time. It's one, it's, one of the, the, it's one of the idolatries that's just accepted. Everyone just accepts it. Oh yeah, you're, you're changing jobs to, why, to make more money? Oh yeah, it makes total sense. You're moving for money? Oh yeah, it makes, time, it makes total sense. Like, like we, we make decisions based on money and no one questions it. Why? Because we worship it. It's got a hold on us. And as I said, many interpreters throughout history have tried to explain this away. Oh, it's just a, just a command for this man in particular. You know, it's, it's not, you know, you know we, don't have to, we don't have to really sell everything we have. And it certainly is a command to this particular man. But Jesus certainly makes, generalizes it when he says, it's how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? I think we need to feel the weight of this. The danger of money is that it captures our hearts and keeps us from the kingdom of God. The danger of money is that it captures our hearts and it keeps us from the kingdom of God. And Jesus, it's so dangerous that Jesus says here in ridiculous metaphor, it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see what he says? It, it, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Right? It's easier for a hippo to squeeze through a drinking straw than for a rich person to squeeze through heaven's gates. It's easier for an elephant to fit into a thimble than for a rich person to fit into heaven. Right? It's easier for a giraffe to duck under one of these chairs than for a rich person to go into the kingdom of God. And as some of the richest people in the history of the world, this should give us pause. The power of money, the danger of money, and now the failure of money. The failure of money. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Remember, they, they thought that money meant God's blessing. Right, this was a, a good, moral, young, wealthy, influential man, eager to learn from Jesus, eager to learn how to follow Jesus. And he turns away. Jesus turns him away. And Jesus says, yeah, rich people can't get in. And then so they ask, and maybe we should ask with them, then who can be saved? Seems like a good prospect. But listen, it's not money or status or power that gets you into the kingdom of God. You can't buy your way in. It's not external morality, though, either. It's not being a good person that gets you in. You know, there are good moral people in hell. It's not, in the end, any human action that can get you in. It's 
in, in every uh, philosophy and every religion around the world, I, I think that has a certain shape. Um, I got this, I adapted this from, from Christopher Watkin, who's a, a philosophy professor in Australia. Um, and he says that, that if you look at every, every uh, religion, every philosophy, it has a certain shape and it's, it's an A shape. Okay, and, and so uh, it, go, it goes like this. You, you do whatever you're supposed to do. You give the sacrifice. You obey in the way you're supposed to. You pray like you should. You give to the poor. Whatever it is, you do it. Uh, and, and then because you do that, then God blesses you. Right? God, God gives you something. This is, you know, the, the pillars of Islam. This is, uh, you know, Buddhism and learning the higher truths. This is, this is, uh, this is karma. You know, you, you do something good and the universe repays you, right? This is the shape of, of religions and philosophies all over the world. Um, but, but as you read the Bible, uh, you find a different shape and you, find, you actually find that this is shaped, it's, it's tw- twisted on its head. Um, in the scriptures, you, you see over and over a V shape, right? A V shape. This starts from, from the very beginning of Scripture. And I want you to know this because as you read the Bible, you can start to see these. So uh, at the very beginning in, in creation, right? God just creates. There's nothing that, that causes, there's nothing that makes him create, forces him to create. No, no, he just chooses to create, right? And, and he makes Adam and Eve and they wake up in a paradise, right? He, so he just gives, he, he acts and he just gives. And then he says, right? Uh, here's all the, the food for, you know, here, here's all the, the trees for food and don't eat of this tree. And he, he, sh- he tells them how to respond, right? He gives them, uh, he gives them uh, rules. How, here's, here's how to live because of what I've done for you. Or you see with Abraham, Abraham's just a random dude in Ur, you know? Uh, he's just a random guy. And out of nowhere, not provoked by anything, God just shows up to him and says, Abraham, I, I chose you, Abraham. I, cho- I choose you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make your name great. And you're gonna be a blessing to the whole world. Right? He just acts. And then he says, now go and leave your father's house. Go to the land. I will show you. He gives him, here's how you obey. Here's how you respond to my blessing. You see it with, with the, the Israelites in Egypt, right? Coming out of Egypt and getting the law. Right, what does God do? His people are slaves in Egypt and he delivers them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm with, through the plagues, through the Red Sea. Right? He delivers them from slavery. He, he, the, the sea swallows up the Egyptian army behind them. And then what does he say? I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So now here's how you live. And he gives them the law. Here's how you live because of what I've done. He acts and then they respond. This is the biblical shape. And do you see that the, the young ruler, he was living in the first paradigm. He was living in the A shape. He was going, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Tell me what I got to give. Tell me what I got to buy. Tell me what I have to, what heroic thing I can do to then receive God's blessing. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. And they say, then who can be saved? And Jesus replies, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus said to this man, follow me. Where's he going? Where's Jesus going? Well, he says it. He tells his disciples. This is the third time in this gospel that he's telling his disciples where he's going and what's going to happen in verse 31. Then he took the 12 aside and told them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that's written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him. And he will rise on the third day. What would it take for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? 
What would it take for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? What would it take for any man or any woman or any child to enter the kingdom of God? It would take an unthinkable act of generosity from the richest person there is. But do you know Jesus is the richest person there is? You know, Jesus makes Jeff Bezos look like a beggar. You know, he makes Elon Musk look like a homeless man. Why? Because, well, all that stuff that they own actually belongs to Jesus and he owns everything else, right? Cattle on a thousand hills. He owns real estate on every planet, in every universe, in every galaxy, right? Like, all, all I'm not saying this multiverse, just don't go, just don't go that direction with me. Uh, he owns everything, okay? He's the richest person that there is. And what did he do? This is just the, the core teaching of Christianity, right? What did he do? He left heaven. He left his throne. He left his privilege. He left his power. He left his glory. And he came and he became a man. He became a baby. He was born as a man. He was born as stable. He embraced our poverty. Right? And, and Paul will say, he, by, he embraced our poverty so that by his poverty, we could become rich. Right? He came and he suffered. And everything that he said, right? What, what, he, he said what happened, he'll be mocked. Jesus was mocked. He'd be insulted. He was insulted. Prophesy. They slapped him. He was spit on. We thought about the spit running down Jesus' face. He was flogged near death, and then they killed him. Why did he do that? He did it for you and for me. Right? He died in our place for our sin. That's the price we should have paid for our rebellion against God. He paid for us so that we could be brought to the king so we could be clothed not in our own filthy rags but in the righteousness of Christ and we could enter into the family of God we could enter into heaven into the kingdom right? he gave up his wealth for you and when you realize this, right, when this becomes not just a, a, a religious theory, not just a nice story, but when you see it happen, you see it happen for me, he did it because he loved me, right, then you become, you become like, uh, like the man who found the treasure in the field. You remember the parable from earlier in Luke? Right? The, the kingdom of God's like a man who found a treasure in a f- hidden in the field. He covered it up and in his joy, he went and he sold everything he had and he bought that field. Right? In his joy, you become where if you can have the treasure, you don't care about anything else. Right? If you get Jesus, money doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right? Do you remember? I remember being young and engaged. Right? And I, I had no money. Uh, but, but, well, I wasn't engaged yet, I, but I remember going to buy the ring, you know, buy the ring. And I didn't, what did you know about, you don't know nothing about nothing. And, and I spent basically all of my money on the ring, you know, I mean, you just do, you spend all your money on the ring. And, and you, but did I care about that? Did I care about losing all that money? No, <laughs> it didn't matter. Why? Because I love Caroline. I just wanted to be with her. And that's how it is. When Jesus captures our hearts, he, he's the, he's the one you love. Listen, money cannot save you. The failure of money is that it can't save. You can't take it with you. 
Like, just think it out a little bit. Like, what's going to happen? You're going to die. You're going to be without anything. No money. And only Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And his generosity is the only power that can reorient our hearts. Right? His generosity, it's the only power. And, and we need reorientation, don't we? We need reorganizing of our loves. We need to love him most. And so let's look at true riches. True riches. Um, Jesus is not against investing. If you notice here, he's not against investing. All all good investment managers will tell you what? I'll tell you, you have a long view, right? Don't don't try to be a a day trader, you know, put your money in what will, you know, like like put your money in, in, you know, flash in the pan stocks. Don't try to play the time, the market up and down every day. No, no, don't do that. You'll you'll lose all your money. No, put your money in something that's going to grow over time and leave it there. That's what investment managers will tell you. Don't don't think five or 10 years down the road. Think 40 or 50 years down the road. Think about that sort of growth. And Jesus Jesus is just saying, don't think just 40 or 50 years down the road. Think 40 or 50 quadrillion years down the road. Right, the the, the ruler, I think, the the young ruler and and we in our materialism, I think we get caught up in, in the first part of what Jesus says. Right, sell everything you have and distribute to the poor. And we just think, God, oh, that, that, could that be a wise thing to say? Shouldn't he even invest it? And then through the dividends, he could pay out the poor more all his whole life. Uh, shouldn't, wouldn't there be a more wise way to use your money than to just do that? Uh, the poor, well, what are they going to do with the money? Uh, well, they might, might make bad decisions. Uh, you know, God wouldn't ask me to do that, would he? This is not something Jesus would ask. We, we get caught up in that, don't we? But we miss the second part. We miss what follows. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor. And what? And you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus is saying, by divesting yourself of your possessions here, you are investing in eternity. Which would you rather have? A super yacht now or treasure in heaven? Which would you rather have? Vacation homes in coastal states. Right? Or a place prepared for you by the God of the universe in 10 trillion years. Jesus is just giving wise investment advice. And Peter said, verse 28, look, we've left what we had and followed you. So he said to them, truly I tell you, there's no one who has left a house wife, brothers, or sisters, parents, or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. Right, Peter says, and, and you know, I just can't imagine this is a mature thing to say, but he just says, look what we've left. You know, this, to me, this is like when you're correcting a child for not sharing and the other child's in the room and they're like, I share, I'm sharing. Do you see how well I'm sharing? You're like, shh, hush. Right? Okay. Uh, and so Peter, Peter uh, you know, says this, and, and Jesus, Jesus explains, and I think maybe subtly rebukes him, and says, hey, Peter, nothing you lose, nothing you give up is worth comparing with the glory that's gonna be revealed for you. Why, why does money have such a grip on us? Why does it have such a grip on our hearts? 
I think because of the things it can provide for us, right? the things it promises to us, things you can buy, comfort, security, respect, power, prestige, glory. Right? We, we look at the rich and we think, man, they, ah, I wish I could have it. We look at celebrities and go, man, if I could just be like that, People would love me. And listen, those, those desires aren't all bad. You know, we were, we were designed for, for these things. Right? But, but money can't even give them to us. Right? The, 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 the money's promises are all lies. Right? Look, look, at, look at celebrities. Look at, listen, look at what they say. Listen to them. I think, I think uh, Jim Carrey said, I, I hope everyone, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything their heart desires so that they can find out that that's not it. Right, why is there so much depression? Why is there so much suicide among celebrities who have it all? Who have all the money they could ever want? Who have all the fame? Why? Because they get there and it's not enough. They find it's It's empty. But what does Jesus offer us? What does Jesus offer us? You want comfort? How about the comforter who lives in us? Comforts our hearts in every affliction. How about eternal comfort and good hope through grace? Like we read in the CBR this week in in 2 Thessalonians. Eternal comfort, comfort that never ends. You want security? How about, how about eternal life? How about the worst thing that can happen to you on this earth, death, is the thing that brings you into the presence of your Savior? How about you can, nothing can ever be taken from you? How about you, you get to live forever, no pain, always in joy? You want respect? How about those who believe in him will never be put to shame? No one can bring a charge against God's elect. It's God who justifies. You want power. How about you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you? You'll be my witnesses. How about we live a life in the power of the Holy Spirit and then we rule and reign with Christ forever over the new heavens and the new earth. Is that enough power for you? How about prestige? You know, you watch the coronation. Want the royal, like, oh, I want to be a part of the royal family. That would be so great. How about to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. How about you're a child of the king of the universe? Is that enough royalty for you? Glory. Glory. You know, we were made for glory. You know, in the end of Daniel, it says, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Shining like the sun, as bright as the sun. Is that enough glory for you? You see, money can't save you. Money can't even satisfy you for any length of time. Jesus is the only one. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one who can satisfy now and can satisfy forever throughout endless ages. There's no one like him. (laughs) There's no one like him. Fear not, little flock. For it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Jim Elliott, who died as a young man on a beach in Ecuador, sharing the gospel with a remote tribe, wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he got that from Jesus. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? And, and, and the, the heartbreaking part of this passage is that the rich young ruler was a fool. He is a fool. Why? Because he kept his money. He kept his treasure. He kept his possessions. He kept his assets, assets and his real estate. And he, he lost treasure forever. Right? He was a fool. Right? He gained the whole world, but what did he lose? His own soul. And may God deliver us from such foolishness. May he deliver us. It's our only hope. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of all. Has money captured your heart? Do you have money or does money have you? Discipleship to Jesus has an economic component. I think in, in, the, in our Western individualism, we, we, just, we can just segment it off. We just think, yeah, church and God and all that stuff. And then my bank account is like separate from that, <laughs> right? God, God doesn't have anything to do with, you know, my savings and my investments and uh, my, my checking. But listen, if God can't tell you what to do with your bank account, then who's God, money or him? If he can't say, get rid of it, if he can't say, divest yourself of a lot of this, if he can't say, buy this thing for this person in need, then who's God? Who is your God? And how are we using money to demonstrate that Jesus is our ultimate treasure? Right, if you die and tomorrow someone does an, an audit on your assets, and, and, I, and I was just to ask them, hey, what, what did they most value based on this audit that you did? What would they say? Our money's not our own. <laughs> we, we're not our own, we belong to him. And so what, what is Jesus calling you to do as you make him your ultimate treasure? What's he calling you to do with your money? I mean, maybe it's tithing. Maybe you, you haven't been tithing. You haven't been giving to the church. And listen, I'm not trying to raise money for the church. Like the budget's fine. We're good. Thank you to all of you who faithfully give. Like I, I love that about our church. We have such faithful givers. But if you're not tithing, hey, you should. It's, it's a biblical precedent. It's a, it's a wise practice because what you're saying is you get money and, you're, and you, you give a percentage of that immediately to the church. You're giving it to the Lord, right? And, and it's, a, it's a practice to say, to remind yourself, all my money belongs to Jesus. 
None of it's mine. So I'm gonna give this percentage right away. And also it's, 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 it's a trust thing, right? Especially if you don't have much money because you go, I'm gonna give this and I'm gonna trust the Lord to provide for me. Maybe God's calling you to that. Maybe you need to give to and serve the poor. You see Jesus' heart for the poor all throughout Luke. And even here, right? He says, sell all that you have. Right? It's interesting too how practical it is. It's like, he didn't just say, give all your stuff to the poor. He didn't say, give all your stuff to your friends and neighbors. No, he says, sell everything you have, like liquid, liquidate it, and then use that money to help the poor, right? It's pretty practical. Jesus cares about the poor. Maybe you need to give to the poor. Maybe you need to go serve a team, give to team, serves the poor in Tomball. And maybe you need to support missionaries. Right, the missionaries that we have, the, the cooks, Jessica Gann, uh, Gia, right? Maybe you need to support missionaries or, or a mission, another missionary, as you know, that needs support. Um, maybe you need to support Harbor Church, the, the church plant that we're sending out next year in, in Cyprus. Maybe there's, there's some other means of giving and generosity you need to do that God's just tapping on your, your back going, yeah, you know what you need to do, right? I don't know. What's he calling you to? Maybe you need to downsize. I just have a lot of stuff. Maybe you need to, need, need to divest yourself of a lot of money. Like, I, I don't know the answer to this question, but I think we should ask it. Is if you have enough, if you have a nest egg, if you have enough to support you forever, how do you know that you're trusting Jesus and not that? I don't know, but shouldn't we ask the question? Maybe God's calling you to sell everything and move overseas to an unreached people group. Like, like Jessica, like the cooks. This is something Jesus does ask people to do. And again, again, if you, if you, in your heart, you just go, not me, I could never, never lose my career, lose my income. Like, no, I couldn't. If God can't ask you that, then again, who's God? Shouldn't, shouldn't our yes be on the table, Tim? Shouldn't we be open to whatever he calls us to? David Livingstone uh, was the first missionary in the modern world to open up Africa to the gospel. Uh, he spent the majority of his life in Africa uh, and, and really op- exploring Africa uh, to open up trade routes for, for uh, missionaries to come in. And then uh, on December 4th, 1857, he spoke to students at Cambridge. Uh, and, and here's what he said. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought, it is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it's a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and then the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us.
I never made a sacrifice. Whatever Jesus calls us to give up, we will look back with David Livingstone and we will say, I never made a sacrifice. <laughs> right? Because we, what, we gain Christ. And if you gain him, who cares about anything else? He's our treasure. He's our hope. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment just to respond to the Lord. I think it's important for you personally to go to him now and, and ask him what he's calling you to, what he wants you to take from his word this morning. Father, money has uh, such, a, uh, such a hold on our hearts. We, we believe the lies so easily. This is what will satisfy us. This is what will give us what we need. We sacrifice so much. We work so hard. We worry. Forgive us. Holy Spirit, would you in your grace, in your kindness. Not because we deserve it, because we don't. <laughs> not because we're good, because we're not. Because you're good. W would you set us free from the love of money? Would you pour your love into our hearts so that we, you are our treasure. Lord, for, for anyone here who doesn't know you, doesn't have you as their treasure, Lord, would you reveal yourself to them right now? Would you save them? Would you save us all from the danger of money? Lord, would you make us a counterculture? Would, would our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends see us treasuring you above all, see, see us doing irrational things with money because you called us to? And would they know and would they see that you are our treasure? We need you. We ask this in Jesus' name.